Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Monday, May 10th, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. America is off candy. All we want is chicken wings and lumber, at least according to the market. A productivity hack that lets you celebrate your accomplishments instead of wallowing in frustration about your unfinished tasks. And space coins. I somehow have multiple stories about space coins for you today. So here are some cool things from the news today. Seemingly random shortages and surpluses continue to make themselves known as the effects of the pandemic rage on. A recent one I saw was chicken wings. According to Vox, a combination of a rise in food delivery, a popular sense of supporting local restaurants, and some jurisdictions requiring food with takeout alcohol orders means the U.S. reached the highest demand for chicken in years. But that circumstances surrounding the pandemic as well as the record cold weather in the southern U.S. this year means that our reserves of chicken are also the lowest they've been in a decade. While major corporations and local mom-and-pop shops compete for the same supply, you may notice that wings from major brands like chain pizza places are staying the same, but the price at your local bar may have gone up substantially if wings have remained on the menu at all. But hey, if you're missing your wings, there's another indulgence that we have an overabundance of. Candy. Items like candy bars, gum, mints, sodas, and all those impulse buys displayed in checkout lines at stores have faced a huge decline over the past year as less people physically stand in line at stores. Gum and mints, which people are also probably buying less of because they aren't seeing as many people in person, especially without a breath-shielding mask on, have been the most affected, falling by 14 and 15% by volume compared to 2019. Snack companies are running various experiments to try to bring back their numbers, nervous that some of these pandemic shopping trends may stick. The good news for them is that bulk buys of gum, candies, and other snacks have been up. But nonetheless, they're running more ads on grocery store and delivery service websites and apps and even trying to figure out how to get people to buy a quick snack when they pick up curbside delivery. But the sector experiencing the strangest combination of both too much demand and, in some cases, too much supply is wood. And before we get too deep here, a quick explainer from Vox for all you non-lumberjacks out there, quote, Here's how the flow of material usually goes. 
Someone cuts down a log in the forest, it gets put in a truck, and goes to a sawmill or panel mill to be processed into a finished product. A stick of lumber, a sheet of plywood, or OSB, oriented strand board, etc. That then goes out into the world to be sold. Timber and lumber refer to different things. Timber is the raw fiber from the forest, the tree. Lumber is a manufactured, finished good, like what you'd buy at the hardware store to fix your fence. You can sort of think of the chain like the oil industry. The unprocessed oil is the log, the refinery is the sawmill, and gas is the lumber, the product everyone's talking about now. End quote. So lumber is in super high demand right now, and sawmills are struggling to keep up. Quoting Vox, For years, the price of 1,000 board feet of lumber has generally traded in the $200 to $400 range. It's now well above 1,000. A new house that would have cost $10,000 in wood to get off the ground a couple years ago now costs $40,000 worth of wood, assuming, that is, you can even get your hands on the lumber. End quote. And by the way, wood futures surged over 1,500 last week. Part of the reason for the shortfall is similar to everything else we're seeing, unprecedented demand matched with atypical supply chain snags. The demand is particularly strong with wood. The remodeling and renovation frenzy kicked off by lockdown has only grown. People who long put it off are buying their first houses. Wealthier folks are buying second houses. Restaurants rushed to build structures for outdoor dining. If the woodworking subreddit is anything to go by, the craft has seemed to quietly become one of the more popular pandemic hobbies people have picked up. And according to Vox, at least one logger has become semi-TikTok famous. The outsized prices on lumber have become a bit of an online joke, leading some people to treat it almost like gold or bitcoin, and predictably, a conspiracy theory has spawned as well, that lumber yards and mill owners are hiding the lumber so that they can jack up the prices. For the record, there is absolutely no evidence of that. But as for supply... Wood from Canada, where TikTok-famous lumberjack Chase Barber hails from, and which accounts for about a third of U.S. lumber consumption, has had issues with tariffs coming into the U.S., as well as beetle infestations and wildfires. So that doesn't help. But there's actually a ton of wood in the U.S. and in Canada right now. The pine growth in the U.S. South has apparently been so good that it's now cheaper than it's been in 20 years, according to Slate. But it's not really a shortage of trees that's the issue, it's the shortage of lumber. And the deeper reason for the shortage is similar to the reason we saw increased prices on Christmas trees last year, as I discussed on the December 18th episode of this show. And that reason? The Great Recession. In the case of Christmas trees, the lack of real estate purchases during the recession meant a huge decrease in purchases of evergreens for landscaping. So some of those trees got repurposed as Christmas trees, but come November and December, not only were there now more trees for sale than usual, but also less people with the budgets to be buying Christmas trees. As a result, tons of farms went under, and the ones that managed to weather the storm did so by planting less trees in subsequent years. And since it takes a little over a decade for a Christmas tree to grow to its full size, we're still feeling the effects of that. This past year, the tail end of the multi-year shortage combined with increased demand as families stayed home and wanted their own trees, so we saw a huge hike in prices. Now with lumber, quoting Slate, the culprit is the decade of instability and low prices that followed the Great Recession, when America stopped building homes, leaving the lumber trade out to dry. 
The stunted recovery stripped the industry's crucial middlemen, the mills themselves, to the bone. Building a new deck is expensive now because mills can't ramp up to meet the demand surge, or won't, nervous that they'll get caught with millions in underused machinery when prices crash back to earth, end quote. And yeah, because except for a very quick spike in 2018, the industry has mostly seen a downward trend for over a decade, and learned to operate accordingly by dialing back operations. And most of them pulled from that playbook when the pandemic hit and demand was initially expected to slow even more. Paul Janke, principal at Forest Economic Advisors, told Vox, quote, They didn't actually start production up right away, and by the time they figured out this was actually real and it was going to last, they ran into issues with quarantining their employees, so they weren't able to ramp up production, end quote. It's a really tricky balance to strike, and with so many moving parts, some larger sawmill companies are seeing huge booms that are helping them make up for years of losses, while smaller companies are struggling to stay afloat. And some timber companies have an overabundance of raw materials that need to be processed, but which sawmills don't have the capacity to do so. And even as many sawmills turn record profits and start tentatively eyeing various means of expansion, don't expect new sawmills to be up and running anytime soon to help with the overabundance of timber or the demand for lumber. Sawmills take at least two years to build and cost about $100 million. It's not the easy solution a lot of people may think it is, and most of the companies still aren't willing to take that risk. Spring and summer are wood-buying season, so the rush is not expected to die down anytime soon. But if it subsides long enough over the winter, the industry might finally be able to get things back in a balance. So lumber and chicken wings are going to continue to be quite expensive and hard to get. But if you want a little candy to make yourself feel better, Mars Wrigley is testing out a robot in grocery stores that will literally hand out candy as it sings and dances down the aisles. So, at least you can still get your sugar rush, if not the new deck you were planning. Do you ever end your day and think, what did I even do today? Like, maybe you were just in a haze of work all day, you know, in front of your computer or running around taking care of various tasks, but you can barely remember any specific item you accomplished. Maybe you swear you were working all day, but the to-do list you made is staring back at you with barely anything crossed off. If any of that sounds frustratingly familiar to you, Stacy S. Kim over at Wired has a solution. Nix the to-do lists and instead try a got-done list. The concept is basically as simple as it sounds. Write down the things you've done so that you can feel a sense of pride and perspective over your accomplishments for the day. Now, you don't have to throw out the to-do list altogether. Crossing things off your list is just as satisfying, but Kim notes that you should also add anything you did that wasn't on the list and cross that off too. If you still use a handwritten to-do list, this concept might seem mostly redundant, but for people using digital productivity apps, it's one feature most of the apps are missing. On those apps, usually when you check something off your list, it just disappears into the ether or an out-of-sight archive. The effect of this, Kim notes, is that these tools tend to just remind us of what we haven't done, trapping us in feelings of guilt and low self-worth. She says, speaking of her clients, quote, Most importantly, the online calendars, lists, and boards never documented the unscheduled fires they extinguished, like making last-minute corrections for a client presentation or taking the car to the mechanic. Their heroics were never acknowledged, end quote. 
And before you write this off as another gold star sticker or participation trophy kind of thing, Kim spoke to Ethan Cross, a professor and director of the Emotion and Self-Control Lab at the University of Michigan, as well as the author of Chatter, The Voice in Our Head, Why It Matters, and How to Harness It, who said, quote, Your mood is defined not by what you did, but by what you thought about. If you can step back to see what you got done, it stands to reason that you wouldn't get stuck focusing on the bad feelings of not having accomplished what you set out to do. It makes sense that you would feel better. End quote. He calls this perspective broadening, to quiet the chatter of negative feelings. And in a time when our lives are in a bit of flux, it can be particularly helpful as a grounding exercise, and one that restores order and gives you a sense of control. Plus, Teresa Amabil, Baker Foundation professor at Harvard Business School and co-author of The Progress Principle, Using Small Wins to Ignite Joy, Engagement, and Creativity at Work, told Kim that being reminded of what we've done, even when they're just small wins, can motivate us to keep going. If you feel like you did nothing all day, it might feel like a lot to push yourself to be productive the next day. But if you remember how much you actually tackled today, then tomorrow you may feel more confident diving back in. Here's how Kim recommends keeping a got-done list. In the morning, decide on one important task you want to get done. Figure out when in your schedule you can do it, and feel free to add a few other tasks, but try to keep it reasonable. Check or cross off the tasks as you do them, and again, crucially, add other things you do that weren't planned and check those off too. Then at the end of the day, reflect back and add anything you missed and give yourself permission to feel some pride over what you got done. Without realizing it, I actually started doing something similar to this earlier this year, partially inspired by Jason's regular media diet updates on kotki.org. I'm not great at keeping up with it, but I have a table in my notes app with one column called input and one called output. And every day I try to record everything that I consumed, like what I watched, what I read, what I listened to, as well as everything I did. So that's a lot of work stuff, like I got this podcast out and I edited a video. But I also include random chores I ended up doing, an unexpected phone call I took, and as this becomes more of a thing again, when I hung out with people and what we did. It's kind of cool to look back on and see what I was filling my time with a few months ago, but on the day-to-day, it does help me feel better when I maybe felt like I didn't get much done at all. I can look at this list and often realize, yeah, dang, I did a lot. Or, hey, there was that one task that took a long time, so it's okay that I didn't do too much else that day. And I haven't experienced this effect of it, but Kim says that some of her clients also noticed that keeping track of their tasks in this way helped them realize how distracted they were getting by notifications, emails, calls, or interrupting coworkers or household members, and then helped them take steps to limit those distractions. So there are a lot of different benefits you could possibly get from this strategy, even though technically it is just one more thing to do. At least it'll give you a sense of satisfaction when it's done. After his controversial Saturday Night Live hosting stint caused Dogecoin to plummet 30%, Elon Musk nonetheless made a big announcement on Twitter the next day. Dogecoin is going to the moon. And he didn't just mean that in the way folks in the crypto and meme stocks worlds mean it jokingly to say that the price of their currency or stock is going to skyrocket metaphorically all the way to the moon. Musk meant it literally. Next year, SpaceX will be launching a satellite called Doge-1. 
The rideshare with Geometric Energy Corporation on a Falcon 9 lunar payload mission was paid for entirely using Dogecoin. And this feels like news that in some ways means nothing, and in other ways could possibly have massive implications going forward. I don't even know, man. But in other, I suppose, more dignified space coin news, Sally Ride, the first woman to fly in space, is going to be on a quarter. She and poet Maya Angelou will be the first of 20 women being honored on a new series of quarters from the U.S. Mint called the American Women Quarters Program. While Ride and Angelou's coins will enter circulation at the start of 2022, featured on the tails side of the quarter while a redesign of George Washington remains on the front, the program is still deciding who else to include, and you can even make suggestions yourself. I will put the Google form in the show notes. Yes, this federal program is using a simple Google form. Apart from being an American woman, the only other real requirement seems to be that she is not alive. No living people. The program was proposed by Senators Deb Fischer and Catherine Cortez Masto. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, the first woman to hold that position, will have the final say on which women are included and what the ultimate designs look like, although she will be consulting with the Smithsonian Institution's American Women's History Initiative, the National Women's History Museum, and the Congressional Bipartisan Women's Caucus. I gotta say, having grown up collecting the state quarters when they came out, I'm actually really excited about this. I can't wait to hear the announcements of the other women who will make the cut and collect all the quarters. So, Sally Ride on the quarters, Dogecoin apparently paying for lunar missions now, there is your space currency update for the day. All right, that is it for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotke.org. I am Jackson Bird. I hope you all had a great weekend, and I will talk to you again tomorrow. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.